think it's something about trust, trusting, trusting yourself, being strong in who you are. I think it's just something that simple. You're listening to The Gould Standard, Episode 38, As Glen As Can Be, The Inner Life of a Brilliant Child. Hello, friends, and welcome to The Gould Standard, the podcast brought to you by the Glenn Gould Foundation. And as you know, we are a series that presents conversations with some of the most remarkable people from all across the world of the arts. You will also know, if you've been following us, that we have been celebrating the 90th anniversary of Glenn Gould's birth. And for this episode, we have something very special indeed, a beautiful new children's book called As Glenn As Can Be, which celebrates the life especially of the young Glenn Gould, a child of extraordinary abilities and perceptions who experiences the world in a slightly different way than his colleagues and peers. And for those who have a neurodiverse child, I think you're going to find just beyond the interesting Glenn Gould, this a, a really beautiful and inspiring book. I'm happy to be joined by the creators, Sarah Ellis, who wrote the book. She's a Vancouver author, teacher, and children's literature expert. And the illustrator, Nancy Vo, who was born on the prairies and now lives in Vancouver, and who came to Glen Gould for the first time as a result of this project. So I'm joined now by Sarah Ellis and Nancy Vo, the creators of the new children's book, As Glen As Can Be. And uh, thank you so much, Sarah and Nancy, for joining us from the Gould Standard. That's a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having us. We're delighted. Um, and I have to say that the reception to this this wonderful book has been absolutely spectacular. Um, if I might quote a review that appeared recently in the New York Times, this is a serious and beautiful introduction to a great musician who was also a gracious and humane man with a particular tenderness towards animals and children. As Glenning as can be is a celebration of individuality, but also a reminder that despite Gould's determined solitude, he left an unusually generous legacy to us all. And the person who wrote that review was a friend of Glenn Gould's, the Pulitzer Prize winning critic, Tim Page. So first of all, congratulations. Um, it must feel very good to, to be uh, uh, having responses like that to your work. It really is. You know, once in a blue moon, you get a reviewer who really got it and Tim Page really got it. I, I found it very moving, that review. He obviously loved it, and he saw traces of the Glenn that he knew, someone who, like himself, um, he recognized as neuroatypical. I think that's the term we, we like to use nowadays. And I thought that the, you know, and this came through to me too, the um, the level of understanding and compassion for someone who was bright and precocious, but clearly saw the world and experienced the world in a different way than most of the rest of us, that that came through very, very vividly for him. Well, he understood 
Len's personal way of seeing things and that he was willing to not conform. And I think that's what Sarah was able to bring out in her text. Now, let's begin at the beginning. Sarah, why Glenn Gould is the subject for a children's book? Uh, you've written you know, over 20 of them. And uh, was this something that you'd been thinking about for a while? I had. Um, about 20 years ago, I read um, Kevin Bazana's biography of Glenn Gould. And even at the time, I found myself making notes, especially about Glenn as a child. And then, you know, life intervened and I wrote other books. And then I was talking to a young woman, a Canadian, well-educated woman, and she'd never heard of Glenn Gould. And I thought, that's not right. So there was an element of nationalism in it. You know, I thought, well, young people should, should know about him because they're just missing out on a lot of pleasure if they don't know his work. So that was my initial motivation for doing the book. But when you get to know somebody, as you do when you're writing a little biography of them, your motivation changes a bit. And I then became more moved by his personality, by his um, take on the world, by the internal contradictions, I guess, was what kept me interested for the research part of the book. And Nancy, how did you become attached to, to the project? So I'm one of the people that Sarah talks about that didn't know who Glenn Gold was before this project. So Groundwood Books, and it was Nan Froman who sent me the manuscript just in the early days of the pandemic. And right away, I, I'm, I'm almost always someone who says yes. And then when I started looking into who Glenn Gold was, I was like, oh my goodness, he's super famous. I know nothing about music. Uh, and I wrote her an email and said, I don't know if you have the right person to do these illustrations. You might want somebody who knows something about music and can give it the um, regard it deserves. And she just wrote back to me and said, Nancy, we trust your research skills. And that was the end of that. <laughs> and clearly, you did your research because just looking at the cover, there are all kinds of musical references hidden in there from the piano key phone telephone poles to the pattern of the of little birds on what looks like musical staff from the telephone yeah. wires to the music <laughs> wafting out of Glenn's uh, home at 32 Southwood Drive. Yeah, so I think that one of the great things about this project is that I became friends with a lot of people on the Glenn Gold Facebook group, and they're very passionate about him. So when I did the sketch for the cover, and I posted it just to see what the reaction I would get, and within less than an hour, one person said, okay, um, that is Glenn Gold's childhood home, 32 Southwood Drive. So they knew his address off by heart. And then, yes, you're right. The the telephone lines are the first two bars of uh, the aria from the uh, Goldberg Variations. Spelled out with birds. Spelled out with birds. So delightful. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, one of the things about the book that I really love is without it feeling forced, you really kind of portray the world as young Glenn with his own particular way of experiencing reality encountered life, you know, how he saw things that he was a very determined, you know, self-possessed child who really knew his own mind very, very early. 
Yeah, I didn't want to overemphasize the quirks because when he was alive, I think the press, they went on and on about the hand washing and the little chair and and all of this. And I'm sure it was very annoying to him because he wanted them to talk about the music. So I was, I kind of, he was kind of in the background of my mind asking me to be respectful, really. On the other hand, he was quirky. And often this is the kind of thing that uh, appeals to a child. So I tried to strike that balance. I think that really that really comes through. And uh, I'm also very struck by how beautifully the style of the illustrations evokes the period in which Glenn grew up, but also, in a sense, reflects the world as he saw it. For example, the page in which um, he is taking his dog, Nicky, uh, Sir Nicholson of Garenloch, I can never pronounce it. Garen Ger Lochnied on a sleigh ride, and uh, and Nikki is wearing a top hat. Now that to me perfectly expresses the kind of personhood that young Glenn experienced in his in his animal friends. So there's so much, and I think I think Sarah and I talk about this. Like there's so much research, and you want to pack it all in there, but you know you can't do that with a picture book. So. The images sort of give some of those little clues, like he was living on the beaches, the dog, and he would dress up and do things. But, you know, I, I don't know if that's exactly how he did it, but that's one way of imagining it. And then if you think about childhood Glenn, if he was that age, that was the middle of the World War, the Second World War. So it's not in a pamphlet about air raid protection sirens that might have come from the government. <laughs> exactly. Sarah, have you actually had experience with children who are neurodiverse, who are on the spectrum, so to speak? I have a bit. Um, I was a children's librarian in the public library for many years, and those kids tend to gravitate to the library, which is a welcoming place for them. And since the book has come out, I've heard from a few readers and their parents, and I got something from a pair of brothers who decided they would write their own autobiographies based on my model. And one of the boys was nine and one was five. And the nine-year-old really got the idea of internal contradiction. Like he laid out his life as things he liked and things he didn't like. And that was was really fun. Now, the the five-year-old was just a goof. (laughs) Like he said... um, I like jumping on things. I like jumping on furniture. I like jumping on my mother. I like jumping on my brother. And I don't <laughs> like people who tell me to stop jumping. So <laughs> it's quite out the idea about um, contradiction. But but that older boy who has a little bit of Gouldian about him, he really got it, that idea and, and sort of self-awareness. So that was, that was a lovely thing to receive. And I, I think that this book aside from, you know, hopefully it's read by many, many children, you know, and it's good for those who are more neurotypical to have some understanding about that kid who sits in the corner and seems to be off in a world of her own, what's going on inside inside their minds. But also, I think, very comforting for parents, first of all, to see that what 
might seem an impediment to their child's future is actually often a sign of of real gifts and the ability to perceive reality differently can be the gateway to discoveries and artistry and ways of reimagining the world that uh, can actually uh, make a big contribution. Yeah, Nancy and I had a a nice uh, book launch where two young pianists performed. And afterwards, the mother of one of them came up to me and said, "I, I have one question. Did Glenn ever make friends? And I heard the poignancy behind the question, and I was so pleased to be able to say, absolutely, yes, that Tim Page, he, he was a friend of, of Glenn Gould's. And absolutely. That was, that was nice. Not only friends, but girlfriends. And uh, in so many ways, all the things that we think of as being you know, part of a, you know, of a fulfilled, normal, self-actualized life were part of Glenn's life, but filtered through his own way of comprehending reality, shaping the reality to to work for him in a way that he could be happy with and comfortable with. That, I think, is very reassuring. I want to talk a little bit, Nancy, about some of the artistic choices you made in in conceptualizing, because one of the things about this book is it has a very distinctive look to it. It uh, has a a color palette that is in some ways cool. It's not black and white, but it has a certain evocation of a black and white era because the the color palette is a little muted. But at the same time, there are enough golds and enough warm tones to make it feel quite welcoming and inhuman. Did you give some thought as to how you wanted the colors to work with the story? Um, yeah, I try to limit my palette normally, but the colors I chose were partly based on what Glenn Gould said were his favorites, which were Battleship Gray and Midnight Navy. So uh, I found colors close to that. And then I just kind of put the gold in as like little pops where, you know, where there was a moment of maybe focus or happiness. And then also the, the, the trim size of the book. This was my first landscape book because my, picture books are more squarish and I, I kind of want it to convey this idea of imagine Canada in the 1930s we didn't even have a way to connect with one another really like we didn't get um, national radio until the 1930s so that was CBC launch of CBC and all of a sudden you could tie people from coast to coast together and uh so, so that was a very conscious decision, the landscape, the colors. Well, and of course, you know, Gould is very strongly associated with the Canadian landscape, the northern landscape. That comes through. And also, I think something that is also lovely about the book is it does capture in a very, what I would call, individual slides that evoke a period historically that is probably remote to most Canadians now, the period of the 1930s, the period in which there I see Glenn with Nikki on the on the carpet and his mother t- tuning the radio, you know, a period where people relied on radio as their primary means of, of communication with the outside world. Nancy, you also talked about the page with the, the R.C. Harris filtration plant. You, you want to talk about, about why you put that in there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, so the R.C. Harris water treatment plant, they started construction on it 
1932, which is the same year that Glenn Gould was born. And he lived on what is now known as the beach or the beaches, depending on which way you want to go with that argument. But um, it was literally like less than a kilometer away from where he lived. So I, I like to do something called sneak in Easter eggs. And you'll see in like the text transfer, there's the words backwards in the skin of a lion. And that was a, a book written by Michael Andage. And it featured the R.C. Harris water treatment plant and focused on the Italian uh, immigrants who were working on that project. And I think also the bridge over uh, Don Valley. So, so it was a way of saying here's while Glenn was in his world, this was just like literally blocks from where he lived. And it, it's great to, to have those those Easter eggs, like for example, Glenn out boating and trying to to save the fishes from the anglers, you know. And you see him with the the waves beneath the, the boat of text transferred words. What is your actual technique? Do you start with ink? Do you do charcoal or pencil? I mean, how do you you develop your images? Well, I start with kind of a rough pencil draft. And then when I've got the composition, I'll work with the watercolor. But the text transfer is like, um, after my research, if there's any printed matter, I will take that, flip it over, and there's something called an acetone marker. You just rub it and transfer it onto the page. So it's kind of keeping a bit of the research. Yeah. On that page, you'll see words like, oh, Lake Simcoe and perch, yellow perch. and Yellow perch. I caught them when I was taken fishing as a as a youngin, very tasty fish, as it happens, not big but yummy. Okay. And this was your first collaboration. Am I, am I right about that? You you had not worked together before. Yeah, this was our first collaboration. So, Sarah, you had already written the the text first when when Nancy came onto the project. Yeah, that's how it usually goes. Is the writer sends the text to the publisher, and the publisher looks at their stable of illustrators and offers it to somebody. And very often that's it, that the author and illustrator never communicate at all. But because Nancy lives in Vancouver and so do I, and I had, I think I'd met you a couple of times maybe before Nancy at children's literature things. And it just seemed silly not to meet. And we both like cake. So we would go and eat cake. And um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a very visual person, so I had no concept of the visual parts of the book. And so I wasn't about to be interfering or anything, but um, it was just, it was fun to just share our research. And then after the book came out, it's awfully nice to have another person around who cares about it as much as you do. So from start to finish, let's break it down. Sarah, from the time you said, I'm going to write this, this children's book about Glenn Gould, how long, until you had the the text done? Including editorial input from the publisher, it was about 18 months. 18 months. And Nancy, from the time you first put your pencil to begin sketching to the time you said, done, how how much time? Oh, my goodness. This was during the pandemic, and that, that part of my brain is kind of, because <laughs> maybe yeah, wiped know. out in gray but it started during yeah during the beginning of the pandemic and i don't remember when i had to deliver the finished drawing so i'm gonna say yeah it was under two years under two years so and you just coincidentally happened to get it finished so that it could be published during his 90th 
birth anniversary year so that we were able to help celebrate Glenn Gould at 90 through this, this exquisite book. Yeah, that was just luck. Okay, so now that you, you have become dyed-in-the-wool Gouldophiles, what's your favorite Glenn Gould recording? It's a cliche to say so, but it's the, for me, it's the Goldberg Variations, the first one. The first one. Yeah. And Etsy, how about you? You know what? I have to look up what it's called, but do you remember somebody named James Rhodes coming to Canada? Yes, I do very much. He's a he's a good friend of ours. We we presented his debut. Yeah, he played a piece that Gold did. Yes, yes, it's the Adagio from from the Bach Marcello Concerto. Yes, yes, that's the one, the Bach Marcello Concerto, and I was like, wow, blown away. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's my favorite. Oh, the excellent choices, both of you. So. What are your hopes for this book? Um, I mean, I am assuming that it's going to find its way into translations into other languages. There are lots of Gould fans and music lovers around the world who I think would get a lot from the book. Um, has Have there been some discussions about that yet? They have a German publisher for us. Oh, excellent. And that, that book is actually out now, the German translation. Is. Oh, we'll have to get a copy for our library here at the Foundation. That's great. I am predicting that there will be a Japanese version, probably a French version, because there's strong interest in Gould in, in those countries. And, you know, then you're going to have to go on the book tour, the worldwide book tour. That sounds good. We'll taste cakes in other places. Yeah. Different kinds of cakes. Absolutely. Yeah. And if I were a four-year-old, because I noticed that the recommended age is three to six, but I have to tell you that I loved it and I'm significantly beyond that. Um, um, what would you want the readers, let's say, who are neurotypical and their parents to take from from reading the book beyond just becoming curious about, about Glenn, but from the story about people like Glenn? I think it's something about trust, trusting, trusting yourself, being strong in who you are. I think it's just something that simple. I think the same. It's, it's, I reflect on childhood and think there are some days when it's just really hard, but if you can just kind of think outside and think, yeah, I'll, I'll be okay eventually. Then I think this book has some of that in it. Now I noticed that you go beyond his childhood into really the what I call the the height of his musical career. You have his a bit about his his time as a concert pianist playing live performances, but also his love of the recording studio. And he described it as it's a womb with a view. You know, it's very protected, a place where you can exercise control, where you can satisfy yourself. You know, and then through that satisfaction, satisfy the listener and. The only hint about where the end point is, I think, is in uh, the second or third last page where you have a sketch from the idea of North, from the score. And that, I thought, was, was quite an inspired. So that basically, I think, puts our end point at 1967, centennial year, because idea of North was a centennial project. And was that something that you consciously chose because that would have been Glenn Gould at the age of 
35. Yeah, why? Okay, so... Somehow to show that he wasn't just recording music, he was also like very much just a just a creator. Like he would perform in the Stratford Festival, and he would uh, do these projects for CBC. Like the idea of North was uh, one of the three films, the trilogy, the Northern trilogies, and so, yes, absolutely, the Solitude trilogy, Solitude trilogies, yes. So yeah, somehow to put that in there and say yes, he is. This is where he is himself and able to do the things he uh, wanted to do that he wasn't able to do when he was doing the concert tours. Yeah, when you do a biography, you have to actually select a story from a life because our lives don't actually work like fiction, but we pretend they do. So the story I picked was, here's a person with gifts, and he ran across some hurdles, and he prevailed. So that's why the book ends with his recording career. Uh, it makes perfect sense. And I have to say, by the way, that all the folks at the, the National Film Board is make a great animation. I could see this being, you know, turned into something that absolutely exquisite. You haven't made an animated film with Glenn Gould's music in the background since the 1960s with Norman McLaren. So, you know, NFB folks. So Brian, from your lips to NFB's ear. As it happens, I do know a few people at the NFB, so I might have that conversation. What is Glenn Gould's legacy to you? What does Glenn Gould ultimately mean? And what are the, the gifts that you see him passing on to the future? For myself, who knew nothing about music or Glenn Gould when I started, I almost feel like I've met met people, like, you know, virtually, just who were so moved by what he, you know, contributed, not only to music, but to Canada. And then just, uh, like, for somebody like James Rose to say, he saved my life, like, that was, that was big. So for me, he kind of passed that on to... Yeah, my own, my own take of fun. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, Nancy, but you're right. It's about connection. It's about connections we can make through the beauty of what he made. It's interesting that you, you should both say that because it's one of the great mysteries that I've tried to, to grasp. And, you know, I'm certainly in, in the midst of the, the Gould, Gouldian world, I think, um, and that is, you know, why compared to so many great classical musicians of the past, is he still such a vital presence? You know, usually what happens is as soon as, you know, someone who's been a big star in the classical music world passes away, within a few years, you know, yes, collectors are still interested in them and talk about them and so on. But, you know, because they're not giving concerts, because they're not bringing out brand new records anymore, they begin to sort of move into, you know, sort of the the expired category, you know, not just physically, but in terms of, you know, being part of the current scene. Gould still influences everyone in classical music and also a huge number of fans and admirers, despite the fact that in Canada, we don't do a very good job about making young people aware of our greatest achievers in the past. 
And I've tried to put my finger on what it is about him. I've talked with Kevin Bazana about it. I've talked with Tim Page about it. Um, I've talked with you know the people who made 32 short films about Glenn Gould about it. And the only thing that I've really been able to, and, and in experiencing how people respond when they hear his recordings and the level of emotion that they experience, there is an intensity about his music making. There is a kind of a very powerful one-to-one communication, like when celebrities have stalkers and the stalkers think that the the musician is talking directly to me and that there are secret messages that are just for me. And Well, I think a lot of people get that from Glenn. Like there's something that his music says to me, that he understands me, that he triggers emotions at a very primal and deep level in me that however beautiful the work of other musicians may be, it's not quite at that at that level of of power. And I, I wonder whether that's something that you've seen from your visit to the, the Facebook page or just in terms of your own listening to his recordings or the way you've seen people respond, even to respond to the book. In the back matter, when I give a little rundown on the facts behind the story, I say something about that there was some element of magic and I'm not a woo-woo person, but I can only explain it in that way, that there is some sort of extraterrestrial quality to the effect of his art. And you you did pick up on the, uh, the space alien reference, which actually came directly from his time visiting Russia in, uh, the, in 1957, that they said, yeah, this is some creature from outer space because no human being plays like that. Well, I have to say, within the, the short number of pages, which is perfect, of course, for a young reader, um, you've captured so much, so much of Glenn's spirit, so much that I think he'd recognize in himself that I just want to congratulate you and uh, ask, uh, when can we expect the sequel? (laughs) We are speechless. Yes. Well, all I can tell you is if you ever decide to do it and you find, you know, the other set of details that you'd like to to turn into a volume two, I'll buy the first copy. Thanks, Brian. When those space aliens find the record on the Voyager, then there you um, go. Yeah, then we can make the sequel. There you go, yeah. or someone else can. <laughs> I there's the the Glenn Gould fantasy that we have been waiting for. Absolutely <laughs> right. Anyway, thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah Ellis. Thank you, Nancy Vo, for uh, sharing this beautiful book with us and uh, and giving us some insight into how you created it. It's uh, enjoying enormous success. And I hope that every parent buys a copy for their child, and then buys a piano for their child. What a good idea. Thank you again, and warm wishes for the holidays. Same to you, Brian. Yes, thank you, Brian. The Glenn Gould Foundation is a registered Canadian charity, and we rely on the support of arts lovers like you to continue bringing inspiring stories to life. Please consider giving by visiting our website, glengould.ca. And if you're interested in keeping up with the Gould Standard podcast and more work from the Foundation, be sure to follow us across social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Glenn Gould Foundation.